All right, so there was a fire in Kentucky, and it started in the grasslands, and it quickly spread to a nearby barn, and uh, the farmer called the fire department, and the fire department rushes out to the scene, but the fire is getting too big too quickly, and, and they're just kind of maintaining the battle. They're not, they're not making any real progress in putting out the fire, and so uh, somebody who's kind of started to watch it, because you know that's what happens, right? And there's a fire, that becomes a pretty good entertainment source, right? And so there's people that are putting out the fire, and then there's a group of people that are watching the people put out the fire, and somebody suggests, hey, we should call the county volunteer fire department. And somebody says, no, I, I don't know. I'm not even sure if their fire truck starts. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how effective they're going to be, but they don't really have any choice. They, they battle the blaze for a little longer on their own, and finally they decide, all right, fine, we'll call the volunteer fire department. Well, a while later, this volunteer fire truck comes in, guns ablazing. They go full speed right into the middle of the barn, screech to a halt, and all the firemen jump out and immediately and frantically start battling the blaze that's all around them from in the middle of the barn, and very quickly they've helped get this fire under control. And they acted so heroically that the farmer whose barn was ultimately spared, minus the new door he needed, was so thankful, he goes to the captain of the volunteer, volunteer fire department, and he says, I'm going to write you guys a check for $1,000 because I'm so grateful for the heroic way that you acted to save my barn. Of course, by this time, the local news is there. And uh, the reporter says to the captain of the volunteer fire department, he says, well, what are you guys going to do with this $1,000 donation that you just received? The captain says, I can tell you the first thing we're going to do is get the brakes fixed on this fire truck. <laughs> you know, we're all on a journey to change. And some of the ways that we need to be changed pretty obvious. Some of us need new brakes on our fire truck. Right? Some of us are a little bit more subtle in the things that need to be changed. For some of us, it's the thoughts and intentions of our heart that need some work. But what I can tell you is this. We're on a journey to change together. And over the first 16 weeks of this year, we want to allow Jesus to do this work of changing us from the inside. That's what, this, that's what this sermon series is about. Week by week, we're going to walk through every chapter in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to learn what Jesus taught. We're going to hear what he said. We're going to see what he did. We're going to walk where he walked. And over these 16 weeks, I hope, now I'm convinced, I'm convinced that we'll have a better understanding of his holiness and his power. I'm convinced that we'll have a better understanding of his authority in our lives, and we'll have a better idea of how Jesus is calling us to live today. I'm convinced that over these 16 weeks, Jesus will change us. So that's where we're going. That's what this series is about. But I want to start with a little bit of review from last week. And last week we were talking about this uh, very Christian word that we like to say and not along to, but maybe don't understand as thoroughly as we should. It's the word disciple. And we define disciple this way from a, a man named Jim Putman. And he says a disciple is somebody who is following Christ, being changed by Christ, and committed to the mission of Christ. He takes that from Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. By the way, if you're a guest here 
in your bulletin, you're going to find a fill-in-the-blank sermon outline, and whenever you see words in yellow, that's going to be uh, an indication for you to fill that in in your outline. So that's our understanding of a disciple. And what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to break down each of those characteristics of a disciple individually and look at what they mean for our lives. So today, that means we're going to be talking about what it means to follow Christ. And I want to ask you a question. Why should you follow Jesus? Why should you become a follower of Christ? Is it, is it worth it? What's so wrong with my life now that I should consider changing it to something else? Why should you follow Jesus? If we're going to go on a journey to change, we should probably start with this idea of why following Jesus is important. And to get us started in this conversation, we're going to look at Mark chapter 7. We'll start in verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there now, or I'm going to have it up here on the screen for you in the New Living Translation. So, Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 1. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus, and they noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. Now, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, they don't eat until they've poured water over their cupped hands as required By their ancient traditions, similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions they've clung to, such as their ceremonial cup washings, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law asked him, hey, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition they eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony? So, Let's stop here for just a second. I want you to think about what Jesus has accomplished in the Gospel of Mark so far. Can you think of anything maybe out of the ordinary that Jesus has done in what we've read so far in Mark? Anything come to mind quickly? Go ahead and, go ahead and say it. Anything out of the ordinary that a normal teacher might do? Yeah, he fed 5,000 people. That's a little out of the ordinary. How many of you have done that this past week? Okay, well, none of the farmers raise your hands. That's cheating. Okay. Yeah, he fed 5,000 people. He's actually done it multiple times. He's uh, walked on water. He's cured an infamous demoniac. Uh, Let's see, he's calmed a storm. He's raised a little girl from the dead. Just little things like that. And he even heals paralyzed people. And even people who just touch his clothes are healed. Jesus has done some extraordinary things in his ministry so far, and the Pharisees know about all of these things. Word is spreading about Jesus. That's why one of the most common themes in Mark at this point is Jesus couldn't go anywhere because the crowds were pushing in around him. People know what Jesus is doing. They know about his mighty works. And the Pharisees, well aware of what Jesus is doing, have this question. How come your disciples don't wash their hands? How come your disciples don't wash their hands? Now, let's be just completely fair here. Uh, Washing your hands is a good thing, okay? Can we just say that this morning? Washing your hands is a good thing. Hand sanitizer is a good thing. All of God's medical professionals are nodding along. And, and, And there's this really scientific way of describing why washing your hands is a good thing. And here's here's what it is: it kills the yucky germs. Okay, that's the scientific way of describing. I don't know if you want to write that down or not, but that's that's what it is. It kills the yucky germs. Here's the problem: the Pharisees aren't thinking about yucky germs. 
See, they were thinking about Exodus chapter 30. Here's what that says. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a bronze wash basin with a bronze stand and place it between the tabernacle and the altar. Fill it with water. Aaron and his sons will wash their hands and feet there. They must wash with water whenever they go into the tabernacle to appear before the Lord and when they approach the altar to burn up their special gifts to the Lord or they will die. They must always wash their hands and feet or they will die. This is a permanent law for Aaron and his descendants to be observed from generation to generation. The Old Testament is deeply concerned with religious cleanliness. God took the matter very seriously. It's a pretty black and white issue. Aaron, to you and your descendants, to the priest, wash your hands and your feet. What are the consequences? If you don't, you're going to be in time out. You're going to have yucky germs. No, if you don't do this, you will die. I will kill you. This is a pretty black and white, straightforward issue. You must do this. But there's a difference. God commands the priests to wash their hands and feet before entering the tabernacle. This is a requirement specifically for the priests, specifically in the execution of their priestly duties. But at some point, At some point, before the first century, religious leaders, they expanded this practice beyond its original intent. They expanded it beyond the priests in the execution of their priestly duty, and they made it a command for all people. And by the time Jesus and his disciples are doing ministry, this tradition had become a requirement for everybody. Jesus doesn't have a problem with people washing their hands. In fact, I think he'd say, wash your hands before you sit down to eat, kids. He has a problem with people adding to God's law. And that's what's happening here. The Pharisees were judging the thoughts and intentions of Jesus' disciples' heart because they weren't following a man-made tradition. And that's what Jesus has a problem with. So Jesus replied, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commandments from God. For you ignore God's laws and substitute your own traditions. Can I just say, I'm glad that Jesus isn't talking to me when he writes this, but maybe he is sometimes. Ugh. Maybe he is talking to me sometimes. It's the kind of thing everybody wants to hear, right? He says, you pretend to be so concerned with my laws. You pretend to be so concerned with my laws, and then you pick and choose which ones you want to obey. And then the ones you do decide to obey, you still don't obey because you add conditions and restrictions to them. I don't know, maybe he is talking to me sometimes when he says that. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave this law from God, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother should be put to death. But you say, hey, it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. I vowed to do this thing for God, uh, what I would have given to you. In this way, you've let them disregard their needy parents, and so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Okay, so we started this sermon by saying this is about learning to follow God. And at this point, you're going, 
Tony, I've, I've got a question. Is, is that what, really what this sermon is about, or did you write your introduction and then like, get sidetracked and you're going a different place? Like, is that really what this sermon is about? You're going, you know, I love a good Pharisee bashing as much as the next guy, but is this really a sermon about following Jesus? It is, and it's where we're headed right now. Verse 14, then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said. And try to understand, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. And he said, don't you understand either? Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that, All different kinds of food are acceptable in God's eyes. So the Pharisees thought, the Pharisees thought that being physically dirty could make a person spiritually dirty. Let's say it another way. They thought that if your hands were dirty, your heart must be dirty too. And because of that, they were obsessed. They were obsessed with making sure their hands were clean all the time, just going around with clean hands. And before before we say you're crazy, it doesn't make any sense to say that dirty hands makes a dirty heart. Before we say that, understand that a lot of us walk around trying to wash our hands too. And we try, to, we try to just make sure that we're keeping the dirt off. And we, we don't wash our hands like the Pharisees did, but we wash our hands too. We want to make sure that our hearts are clean, so we spend time volunteering and donating to charity. And when we leave, we say, see, I don't got any dirt on my hands. And we want to make sure that our hearts are clean, so we spend our money and we give to the church and we put it in the offering plate, or if you're a millennial, you give electronically, and we say, see, no dirt on my hands, I'm clean. And we want to make sure that our hands or our hearts are clean, so we only listen to positive, encouraging K-love. We want to make sure that our hearts are clean and we just get obsessed with it. We get obsessed with it, and we just spend our lives going around like this. None of those things are bad things. None of those things are bad things. Is it good to give money to charity? Is it good to volunteer to charity? Absolutely it is. It's good to give money to the church, but understand it isn't going to clean your heart. None of those things are bad things, but if we try to put our hope in any of those things, we will be disappointed again and again and again, and we'll walk away from the church having never been changed. Here's why these things don't work. Here's why those things don't work to make sure we're clean. It's because our hearts aren't dirty because of a lack of doing good. Our hearts are dirty because of sin. Hearts are dirty because of sin, not because we don't do enough good things. That's something we can't wash away with soap and water. And something we can't wash away with a better tithe or more volunteer hours. The Pharisees were obsessed with washing their hands to make sure their hearts stayed pure, but Jesus said, it's not that that defiles you, it's what's in your heart that defiles you. So what we need is a new heart. What we need is a new heart. 
We don't need to wash our hands more. We don't need to, we don't need to start by giving more or donating more of our time. Where we need to start is with a new heart. Kyle Eidelman said it brilliantly a few weeks ago in a sermon I was listening to from Southeast. He said, imagine that you're lying down on your couch and you're watching TV. And while you're lying there, big drop of water falls on your forehead and, and, and you're kind of disoriented. This big drop of water falls right in the middle of your forehead as you're looking around. As you look up, another big drop falls right on your forehead and you start to wonder, what is going on? What's happening here? And then it dawns on you. You were cleaning your house earlier and as you were cleaning your upstairs bathroom, you left a bucket in the sink and the water on. And so there's water running all over the upstairs bathroom and it's started to get to the point where it is dripping through your ceiling onto your forehead. He asks, what do you do at this point? Do you go into the laundry room and, and get a towel and wipe up the, the top of your ceiling? Do you put a tarp under that drip so that way you don't have to feel that drip anymore? He says, no. The very first thing you do is you go upstairs and you turn the water off. You start with the source. You're not going to get anywhere in solving your problem until until you start with the source. So for us, volunteering is good, tithing is good, giving our time and our charity is a good thing, but they don't do anything for our heart problem because our hearts are affected by sin. We have to start with the source, and we can't do it ourselves. We need a new heart, and we can't give ourselves a new heart, and that's critical. That's critical because if we think we can do it, we're just going to keep putting buckets around the house We're going to try to keep our sin from making too big a mess, but we have to acknowledge that we can't do it ourselves. We don't like saying things like that. We don't like saying, I can't do this. We're Americans. You have any idea what we've built? We've built the Hoover Dam, the Empire State Building, the Golden Gate Bridge, and the Grand Canyon. We can solve a silly little sin problem. Just making sure you're still listening. We can solve a silly little sin problem. Until we're ready, we're just going to put out a bucket or two and deal with the aftermath. Can I just tell you that a bucket is fine until it isn't? It's fine until it isn't. If you let the water run for too long, it affects the whole house. The floor buckles, the foundation get weak, and one day it just collapses. One day it just collapses. By the way, this holds true in the lives of the Pharisees too. They said, we don't like Jesus, and it was what was in their heart that was defiling them. Back in Mark chapter 3, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees respond well, and they said, hey, Jesus, thanks for doing that. We're really glad you healed this man, and uh, you know, I hope you have a good rest of your Sabbath. Is that how that story reads? Oh, yeah, that's right. What they did is, is actually exactly the opposite. They said, how dare you heal on the Sabbath? You disgust us. We don't like you. And so they went away and they began plotting to kill Jesus with the Herodians. They had jealousy that was residing in their hearts, and it ate at them. 
and affected their vision so they couldn't see the good things that Jesus was doing. And it affected their hearing so that they couldn't hear the truth that Jesus was preaching. And it affected their minds so the resolve to kill him only grew stronger. And then one day, they killed him. Here's the point. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is telling us, you can pretend everything is okay, or you can admit that you need him. We can spend our whole lives pretending everything is okay and we'll just get to this sin issue when we have a chance or we can admit that we need him and that's when healing begins. We can spend our whole lives trying to wash our hands but the only thing we'll do is harden our hearts. We can admit that we need Jesus. It's one of the reasons I love the Celebrate Recovery Program. It gets to this point very quickly in the recovery process. Step one. Here's the very first principle of Celebrate Recovery. Admit you are powerless over your addictions and compulsions. This is where Celebrate Recovery starts. And I'm here to tell you, we all have something that we are powerless to. And the moment we believe that, and the moment we admit that, we can begin to hear the voice of Jesus saying, follow me. Follow me. You know who follows Jesus? You know who follows Jesus? People who know they need Jesus. People who know they need a new heart. People who know they need a new heart. And look at what Jesus will do. This is prophesied in Ezekiel. This is what God says. I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take away your stony, stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. Jesus came to give us the new heart that we couldn't give ourselves. So we can pretend it's all okay, or we can admit that we need him. And so I guess what I need to confess to you is I need God. I hope you do too. I need him because he's righteous and I'm not. I need him because he is full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and I'm not. I need him because I'm selfish and I seek first my own desires and he teaches me how to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I need him to free me from the power of sin. I need his sacrifice to reunite me with God. I need him to give me a new heart. So do you need Jesus? So that's what Jesus is teaching us as we walk through this passage what it means to follow him. People who follow Jesus are people who need Jesus. And then he added, it's, uh, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, that's where evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and greed and wickedness and deceit and lustful desires and envy and slander and pride and foolishness come from. All these vile things come from within. Those are the things that defile you. Say, I don't know what's in your heart. Some of you may have sexual immorality coming from within you as you think about someone who isn't your spouse or as you look at images on your phone. Some of you may have theft coming from within you as you look at what somebody else has and you're consumed with thoughts of how you might get that too. 
Some of you may have murder in your hearts as you refuse to forgive. Maybe it's adultery or greed or wickedness or deceit or lustful desires or envy or slander or pride or foolishness. I don't know what's going on in your heart. But I know that you can't clean it up on your own. And I know that some of you are exhausted from trying. And you live your life on a tightrope wondering if you've done enough to clean your heart if you've done enough to be acceptable to God, can I just tell you that when you decide to follow Jesus, he will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And that's exactly what you need. That's where a journey to change begins. So if you need to begin following Jesus, why don't you meet me down here? Uh, we're gonna sing a song in just a second. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray uh, that, that any of you who need a new heart might have the courage to not ignore that call from God today. And, uh, and then we're going to sing our song of decision. And if you need to meet me down here, I want to ask you to and let God put a new heart and a new spirit within you. So let's pray together. God, I need you. And I know that there are so many people in this room who have made that confession before that they need you. And they have accepted the new heart that you've come to give them. God, I know that there are some people in here today who haven't. Who are still trying to just put out buckets to catch drips of water and not dealing with the source. God, would you convict them that they need you, that they can't do this alone, but that you don't expect any of us to do this alone. That is exactly why Jesus came. God, I am so comforted on a daily basis when I think of Romans chapter five when it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. It's talking about me. So I thank you and I praise you for that, God. I pray that you would continue to do the work of discipleship in all of us so that we can become mature believers whose example is worth following. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.